Now, this church, you may not know this, we're led by a team of elders or pastors. I'm one of them. We have eight elders here, and we love to shepherd and oversee this church. And it's usually one of the elders that speaks on a Sunday, and then from time to time, uh, we invite different men and women from across the church to share. Last week, we were so encouraged by Alex Hawke, weren't we? What a brilliant message. I caught up on that in the week. wasn't able to be with you last week. And uh, this week, we have the privilege of hearing from Kirsten Higgins, who leads our youth team here. And uh, Kirsten... Uh, We're really encouraged by, she's done a great job with our youth work, continues to do so, and uh, we've got a great uh, bunch of teenagers coming up through this church uh, who are loving God, and we've seen a couple of them baptized this morning, which is so encouraging. So let's be receptive to what God would want to bring to us this morning as Kirsten comes up to speak. Let's give her a big welcome. Let's go. Um, Well, good morning. As Tom said, my name is Kirsten, um, and it's great to be able to come and speak to you guys this morning. Um, We're going to be spending this morning in the book of John. Um, Now, John was a disciple of Jesus, and if I'm allowed to say this, I think he was my favorite disciple um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, he was quite young at the time when he walked with Jesus. Um, But also, John, in his book, John, likes to refer to himself as the one whom Jesus loved, okay? So he kind of seems to exude this confidence that some might consider a little bit arrogant. Um, I think he was just really confident and excited in the fact that Jesus loved him, which is great. Um, I also love him because I'm a fan of running, and there's this famous um, bit in the Bible where... um, Essentially, John, he's going to the tomb with Peter to see um, if Jesus is still dead in there or if he's um, out of the tomb. And basically, him um, and Peter start running to the tomb. And John just likes to slip in there that he outran Peter, okay? So I like John because he's a runner um, and also because he has this kind of confidence that, um, that seems to just come out of him about how excited he is about Jesus. So we're going to be in John today. Um, and... Some of you might remember, and I kind of want to start my talk by saying this. Some of you might remember Tom, a couple of weeks ago, um, came and spoke to us. And if you weren't there, I'm just going to recap what he said. Um, And he talked about the news, okay, in his talk. And he said that um, there's this kind of 24-hour news that we watch or can watch um, that kind of barrages us with all of this bad news about death and um, destruction and everything that's going wrong in the world at the minute. And he said that actually, if you were to sit and watch the news for 24 hours, you could probably see more death and destruction in just that 24 hours than years ago most people would have seen in a lifetime. Um, And actually, when this is the case, we can kind of become a little bit desensitized um, to things that we're hearing and we're seeing. And we can become a bit dull and a bit deafened to things that really should evoke a response in us. Um, And this morning, I first actually want to speak to those of you that would call yourself Christians in the room and suggest that if we're not careful, sometimes a kind of similar thing can happen when it comes to reading passages of the Bible that we're really familiar with. Um, And today I'm going to read a passage that some of you in the room will be really familiar with. Um, And really, I just want to say to you, as we enter Christmas um, and as I talk today, Let's not, be, uh, let's not let our hearts be dull or deafened um, to what we're hearing. Let's not let our hearts be hard or switch off because we've heard this passage before. But actually, my prayer today is that you're going to have a renewed sense of awe at Jesus that you've never experienced before. 
Um, not because I'm going to say anything particularly special, but actually that's what God, by his spirit, can do in you this morning. Um, and that's my prayer that God is going to reveal that to us. Um, and secondly, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or you're not really sure or you haven't made this commitment yet, then all I really have to say is today we're going to talk about the greatest story you will ever hear. And this has the potential to change your life and not just your life, but your eternity completely. And there are hundreds of people in the room right now that can testify to that. Um, and so today we're simply just going to be talking about Jesus um, and Alex did such a great job last week talking about who Jesus was and what he was like. Um, he so helpfully unpacked what it meant for Jesus to be wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He talked about how Jesus is the, per the perfect saviour that we needed, um, just the saviour that we needed. Um, and often at Christmas, what we tend to do is we kind of zoom in and hone into aspects of the Christmas story. Um, and this morning, we're actually kind of going to do the opposite, and we're going to zoom out on the Christmas story, okay? And hopefully, this is going to give us a big picture of why Jesus had to come, okay? And so um, today, we're going to be talking through three things. We're going to be talking through the idea that we've been created by Jesus and for Jesus, that we've been saved by Jesus and for Jesus, and that one day we will be raised by Jesus and for Jesus. So we've been created, we've been saved, and one day we will be raised by Jesus and for Jesus, okay? So just to clarify before we start, when I say for Jesus, what I mean by this is that we were created for relationship with him, okay? So this is kind of a spoiler before we actually get to what we're talking about. But whenever I say for Jesus, what I mean is for relationship with Jesus, okay? And essentially, that's what being a Christian is. So with that in mind, let's get into the passage. We're going to turn to John chapter 1, and we're going to read from verses 1 to 18. So if you've got your Bibles, let's turn there. Um, and we're going to be reading from the NIV this morning. Okay, so John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The world became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. 
Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Now, this passage, when you first read it, um, can be a little bit confusing, okay? Because this phrase, the word, is used a lot in the first few verses, okay? So I just want to clarify that when we're reading this phrase, the word, um, what it is talking about is Jesus, okay? So we're going to read those first four verses again, and we're going to replace the word with Jesus. And hopefully this will just help bring a little bit more clarity um, into what this passage was saying. So it says, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made, and in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Okay, so we're talking about Jesus here. And this first phrase, in the beginning, was the word. Where else do we hear this phrase, in the beginning? We hear it in Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, okay? Now, this phrase, in the beginning, that we start with is really, really key, okay? Because for there to have been something in the beginning, there had to be something that existed before the beginning, okay? And we know that that something was God. Why do we know that? Because it says, in the beginning, God did what? God created, okay? And this can be really difficult to wrap our heads around this, the idea that God existed before the beginning. Because anything that we as humans can imagine is constrained to this concept of time, okay? And yet God existed outside of this concept of time. Um, do you know you'd be really hard-pressed to say a sentence that doesn't um, point to time in some way, that doesn't allude to a tense of past, present, or future? We might say, I'm doing this tomorrow, or next week I'm going there, or I didn't enjoy this thing. We can't wrap our heads around anything that exists outside of our timeline, and yet it says that God existed before time. Are we still tracking? Good. Um, okay, so let's go back to John 1. So in the beginning was the word, or as we've established, in the beginning was Jesus, okay? And what is being alluded to here is what we know as the Trinity, okay? So we believe in one God, okay? And this in itself in biblical times was quite a controversial thing to think about, but one God. But we also believe that that one God is made up of three distinct persons, okay? So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this truth is insanely integral and significant to us today. In fact, John in this passage is adamant that his readers, they understand this. Um, and he answers it in those first verses that we read. When was Jesus? He was in the beginning. Where was Jesus? He was with God. And who was Jesus? He is God, okay? When was Jesus in the beginning? Where was Jesus with God? Who was Jesus? He is God. And some people um, in history have believed that Jesus was simply a good moral teacher or a religious man. But actually, as we read this, it completely contradicts that. He was God, okay? So we've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit existing for all of eternity, okay, in what we're going to call this perfect Trinitarian relationship, okay? 
And in this relationship, we have got perfect unity, perfect harmony, perfect love, absolute and utter perfection, okay? You might have those that are close to you that you have really close relationship with, okay? But let me tell you, you might as well be the worst of enemies if you were to compare yourself to this relationship that was existing before time. The level of perfection and the depth of relationship that existed here had been existing across the expanse of eternity. And nothing I or you could ever say or muster up or imagine will ever do it any justice, will never give any glint of justice to the glorious richness and eternal love that existed in this relationship. There's no metaphor or simile that we can make up, nothing that we can compare it to that will ever do it any justice, okay? And this should be incredibly reassuring to us. Why is that? Well, it's because it's from this relationship that you and I were created. Not because God was bored or lonely. He can't have been because he was enjoying this relationship. But out of an overflow of loving perfection, he created to love us, to know us, and to have us enter into this perfect relationship that had existed between Father, Son, and Spirit. So we were created into this. This is what we were made for. We were made by him and for relationship with him. We were created by him and for him. If we turn to um, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 17, again, it illustrates this so beautifully. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. And here it comes. All things have been created through him and for him. The Bible is clear. All things were created by Jesus and for Jesus, by God and for relationship with him. And people, scientists, philosophers have spent their lives searching for the answers to origin, purpose, design, asking questions like, why am I here? What's my purpose? What's the point? Where do I fit into this life? And we can get tempted to get sucked into the kind of nitty gritty of theories and desires and moral philosophies. Or we can also be tempted to kind of stick our heads in the sand and think, you know what, I don't even want to think about that. I'm just going to kind of pretend this doesn't exist and think, whoa, it's so overwhelming, I don't want to go there. Um, But the fact of it is, is that we were made by God and for him. This is what our origin and our purpose boils down to. Created by Jesus and for Jesus. Created out of love, for love. Created out of relationship, for relationship. This is incredible. It's beautiful. And yet we know from the creation story back in Genesis that this doesn't last. This relationship that we were created into, it goes awry and something goes wrong. And in a moment, as sin enters the world, everything shatters. And we see Adam and Eve, they turn their back on God and they choose sin. And the whole of creation is fractured. You see, at the moment where Adam and Eve, where they ate the fruit and sin entered the world, separation happened. And we could no longer be with God. God was too holy and too perfect and too wonderful for us to be in the presence of because we were too sinful and dirty, and as a result, sin and death entered the world, and it would now become our end position to die, separated from God, separated 
from this relationship. We might have been made by him and for him, but we could no longer have relationship with him, and our very purpose in this instant is broken. And the Bible is very clear that all of us have sinned and fallen short. It's not just one man's sin that now means we have to pay the price, but all of us have sinned and fallen short. Um, this got alluded to earlier when um, I think it was Luke came in, someone came and shared. Um, and um, sin isn't actually just times that we do things wrong, but the word sin is actually an old school archery term that means missing the mark. And actually, we're sinning every time that we fall short of God's standard of perfection. And I don't know about you, but I've never met God's standard of perfection. And so actually, all of us have sinned and have fallen short. And the repercussions of this are separation from this relationship that we've talked about. This is devastating. The perfect Trinitarian relationship that we were brought into in love, our sin has broken us away from, and we're completely separated from his love. And then the most significant thing in the course of our history happened. So let's head back to John chapter 1, shall we? We're going to read from verse 9 to 14 again. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Okay, so what we're talking about here is the word became flesh as Jesus became flesh is the incarnation, okay? And what we mean by the incarnation is we mean Jesus, who as we read about was God, he's put on flesh and he's become a baby. He's become a man, okay? The word became flesh. Jesus became flesh. Now, in light of all that we've just said, do you see the significance of this? The significance of the incarnation that Jesus was not just some man that was destined to die. He was not just a religious or moral teacher. He was not some lesser being that, you know, made a good sacrifice. But Jesus was and always has been God. And he left the Trinitarian relationship that we just talked about to put on flesh and walk on earth. Some of you in the room might know uh, the pain of what it is like to have an estranged father. Some of you might even know what it is like to have estranged children. Well, Jesus was estranged from his father. All he'd known was perfection, eternity, unity, contentment, love, and he put on flesh and made his dwelling among us. Have you even taken a moment to reflect on this? That Jesus, co-eternal with the father, has always been and will always be. He put on flesh and he dwelt among us. He became a baby he enters the fold of his creation. He enters the fray, this perfect holy deity. He enters the mess of a sinful and fallen humanity that have separated themselves from him. The weightiness of Jesus entering humanity, leaving the Father to enter our mess. And why? Why does he do it? Well, he does it because you and I were created by him and for relationship with him. 
And Jesus, Jesus incarnate, it was part of his plan to come to earth in order that we might be brought back into relationship with him. So not only are we created by him and for him, but we're saved by him and for him back into this relationship. So we've talked about us being created by him and for him, and we're going to talk about being saved by him and for him. So this Jesus that came, what was he to us? What is he to us? Well, let's go back to verses four and five again. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So our bleak and hopeless situation has caused us to be separated from him because of our sin. And yet, okay, yet, where we have exited this Trinitarian relationship because of our sin, Jesus has also exited it and come to earth. So where Adam and Eve and you and I and all after who walked on this earth as men and women, where we've fallen into Satan's grasp and become slaves to sin, Jesus himself walked on this earth never to become a slave to sin. And where there was nothing that we could do to atone for this separation, Jesus atoned for it at the cross and he was killed in the most barbaric and sickest way by no other than us humans. He was spat on by the very humans that he created, who, by the way, wouldn't have even been able to spit on Jesus if it wasn't for the flesh and the bones that he has woven together from the beginning of creation. He was put to death on a hill that was formed from his very breath. So much so was his obedience to the Father that he would willingly go, and so much so was his desire to see us forgiven and made holy so that we could be in his presence once more, in relationship with him once more. And he did this all to be raised again to glory with his only goal, which was to restore and repair what we could not do ourselves. Where we had absolutely nothing to offer, Jesus offered everything in our place. So much so was his desire to bring us back to himself as a people who were created by him and for him and saved by him and for him to be in relationship with him once more. Verse 5, the darkness has not overcome. Jesus broke the power of sin. Think about how powerful sin is, okay? Sin fractured the entire universe, every aspect of it. Sin, as we said earlier, is so much more complex than just the bad things we do. And yet the power of sin and death was put on Jesus at the cross. All sorts of violence put on him. Not just physical violence, but the rejection, the betrayal, the power of Satan and demons, and all of this broken at the cross. And what does verse 5 say? The light has shone in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Notice as well how this is written in the present tense. The light has shined in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This could read as the light shines on darkness, and even now the darkness has still not overcome it. So the word made flesh, Jesus in the beginning, his victory over darkness seen in his crucifixion and resurrection is continuing to shine on even now. 
So what does that mean for us today? Well, it means that his death and his resurrection overpowers anything that we might experience today. So here are a couple of just helpful examples to help illustrate this. The first thing is it overcomes sorrows that exist because we live in a broken world. So things like when we lose loved ones, there's hope that death has been overcome and is not the end. Things like it overcomes our failures as followers of Jesus. When we mess up, we know that his death and his resurrection overcomes those failures. It overcomes overcomes the plans of Satan to wreak havoc on our lives. His death and resurrection overpowers anything that we might experience today. And not only has it overcome those things, but in verse 12 it says, For those who believe and receive, he gives the right to become children of God. For those who believe and receive, he becomes the right to be children of God. I think some of us might need to hear this this morning, that you do not need to earn your sonship and your daughterhood. You can't. For those who what? For those who believe and receive. Alex talked about this a bit last week. He said that we can't earn God's grace. We can't pay for it. It says in the Bible that for unto us a son is given. He gave his only son. And sometimes our knee-jerk reaction as humanity is to think that God is angry or disappointed or fed up or that he regrets saving us. And if we can be honest with ourselves, sometimes this is how we feel. And that can cause us to try and earn God's grace, but we can't earn it. We can't earn what his death and resurrection has won for those who believe and receive. It's deep, but it's also simple. We can't earn it. It's given the ultimate sacrifice given for us, saved by him and saved for him back into relationship with him. And there's a humility that we must have when we look at these truths in realizing it's all him. It's all him. I've been made by him and for relationship with him. I've been saved by him and for relationship with him. And this is why nothing else will ever fulfill what we as humans really need. Nothing else will ever satisfy. It's so easy to fall into starting to live for other stuff, stuff that can be good, like partners, children, money, jobs, sex, success, all good things, but they're not Jesus. For example, I love my husband, but I've not been made by Sam and for Sam. I've been made by Jesus and for Jesus. I've not been made by money for money. I've not been made by children for children. I've not been made by success for success. I've been made by Jesus and for Jesus. And life is found there and there alone. might hear some people sometimes say, my job is a good thing. It's a good thing. We've been made by Jesus and for Jesus. You've got to do a proper clap next time. Come on, guys. <laughs> Some people sometimes might say, my job's not satisfying. Okay, well, your job's not supposed to satisfy you. Or your spouse isn't supposed to complete you. Jesus is. We've been made by him and for him and saved by him and for him. Tom shared a brilliant quote with us last week. Um, from Augustine, and it says, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. 
It's only in him that we're going to find the rest that our hearts crave because we're made by him and for relationship with him, saved by him and for relationship with him. He is the only place that we will find satisfaction because it is the very reason that we were created. And then lastly, we'll be raised by Jesus and for relationship with Jesus. Um, We're going to read from Romans 8. We're going to read from verses 18 to 25. It says this, it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in the, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruit to the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. You see, you might be thinking, Kirsten, it's all good and well what you say about the significance of Jesus, but actually living it out isn't that simple. There's still something not right with this world that you can be as satisfied as you want with Jesus, but how can you live in this world with contentment with the current state of things? Well, as we read here, the Bible would agree with you. I don't know about you, but I don't read about the pains of childbirth and think contentment, okay? It's not two things that go together in my mind. Um, But this passage is depicting a picture of longing. So despite all that Alex talked about last week, about this greatly anticipated Jesus, despite all we've talked about, about why this Jesus came, there's still this longing for him in us that one day he will return. There is something that is built in us from the beginning that longs for the complete fulfillment of the promises of Jesus. That promise that one day when Jesus returns, death will not be the end. And we're taught that there will be a new heavens and a new earth, new resurrection bodies, no more pain, no more suffering, no natural disasters, no illness, no cancer, no depression, no chronic illness, no long-suffering, no tears, no more, but the complete fulfillment of the promise of Jesus is still yet to come, and one day we will be raised with him into eternity of worshipping and praising him. And in him, there is a longing in our hearts for this day to come. Our relationship with him is going to be fully, fully restored. And our present sufferings aren't worth comparing in what's to come. And then in the meantime, this, and this is the kindness of God, okay, what we're about to read. Let's go back to our passage in John 1, verse 18. It says, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Now, this verse is beautiful, okay? What it's saying is this, okay? It's saying God is a mystery, okay? Not in a sense of things that go bump in the night and not in a sense of, well, who can know him, so why bother? But in a sense of who he is and what he is like are secrets and things that we could never have worked out by ourselves. 
but things that God has revealed to us through Jesus, okay? So I've been made by him and for him. I've been saved by him and for him. And one day I'll be raised by him and for him. And along the way, I get to delight in learning his character, his love for me, in his delight of the things above, all through what Jesus has done by humbling himself to the point of death. So I freely get to know what it is to walk with the holy of holies on the daily, enjoying him, reveling in his presence, being awestruck at his loving kindness, but also being awestruck at his might and power, that we get the beauty of journeying with him on a day-to-day basis, being sanctified with him, meeting with him as we wait in eager longing for what is to come. And um, this passage in Titus 2, again, illustrates it beautifully. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting, waiting for what? Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We're a people made for relationship with him, and we will wait and wait, and one day our blessed hope, Jesus, will return again. We have purpose and identity. Why? Because we're created by Jesus and for relationship with him. We've got security and confidence. Why? because we were saved by Jesus and for relationship with him. And we've got excitement and hope in the now. Why? Because one day he will raise us by Jesus and for Jesus. And as Alex shared last week, Jesus was exactly who we needed, who we need now, and who we will continue to keep on needing throughout all of our lives and beyond. And I want to finish really by sharing um, one more thing. Perhaps as I wrap up, the band could start coming up and the prayer team could start gathering. Um, In biblical times and most famously uh, in the Christmas story, um, they didn't have sat-navs to help them navigate, okay? Um, And they used fixed points to help them navigate uh, the earth and the land. Um, And the main kind of fixed point that they'd used to help them navigate was the North Star. Because when the landscape around them would change, the North Star never did, okay? Um, And this morning, there's an invitation for us to orient ourselves around the North Star that is Jesus. The one who has met and will meet your every need. And the very one that you were created by and for. Our very depths of our being goes back to him. And this Christmas, really, I'd love to invite you to consider why you're here. Um, Is there purpose behind your existence, or are you just an accidental consequence of evolution? Because the Bible would teach us that you are made with a purpose in mind and not an accident. We were made by him and for this beautiful relationship with him that we get to enjoy. Can I invite you guys to stand where you are? And this morning, there's an invitation for us to give our lives to Jesus, okay? This is what it bottles down to, okay? Relationship with him. This is what he desires for us. And I said it earlier, you won't regret it. 
There are hundreds of people in this room that will testify to that. You were made for him and he wants to know you. It's as simple as that. We read it earlier, to those who what? To those who believe and receive. And in a minute, um, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and today you want to make that step to give your life to him, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And then actually I'm going to invite you to do something brave and we're going to do something a bit different. So if you would like to commit your lives to him, if you would like to believe and receive and enter into this beautiful relationship with him, there's an invitation for you to do that this morning. And the brave thing that I'm going to ask you to do, firstly, I'm going to ask you to pray with me as I pray. And then I'm going to ask you to come and join our prayer team at the front here. Um, It's a brave step, but Living for Jesus is also a brave step. And sometimes I think a step needs to be made. And there's a prayer team who would love to pray with you and chat that through with you and answer any questions that that you might have, but also just to celebrate with you as you do that. And so I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to actually invite you to come um, and do just that. So Lord, and if you feel like this is you, pray it with me. Lord, I thank you for the sacrifice that you've given through Jesus. I thank you that you sent him to die for me, that I might be brought back into this relationship with you. Thank you for the depth of love that exists within this relationship. And thank you for the privilege that it is to be drawn into that. And this morning, I want to choose to turn away from my sin and turn to you. And Lord, I want to give my life to you this morning. Everything I am is yours. And Lord, I want to make you Lord and Savior over my life. Just as those who declared this morning that got baptized. I want to turn away from my sin and turn to you. And Lord, I give my life to you this morning. If that's you and you've prayed that, I'd love to invite you to come um, forward now and come and pray um, with our prayer team. But the other thing I'd like to do before the band starts singing is... Um, For some of you, I think there's a call this morning to recommit your life to him. You know that maybe you've just not been taking God seriously. And today you're just just thinking, whoa, this is way bigger than I realized. My very being yearns for him. And there's an opportunity this morning to say, Lord, I know I've not been taking you seriously and I need to recommit my life to you. There was a word this morning brought in our prayer meeting about the prodigal son. And the prodigal son, he knows what it is to be in relationship with his father. And he runs off and he squanders it and he comes back and his father runs with open arms. And there's an invitation for you this morning to approach your father boldly, knowing actually I can repent before him and know that he runs towards me and welcomes me with open arms. And so again, I'd like to invite you forward this morning if you think, you know what, I need to recommit my life. I know I've not been taking him seriously. And I'd love to invite you again to come um, to the front and come and get prayed for. And for some of you, and if you're a Christian in the room and you've not responded to one of those two things, then this is for everybody. There's a renewed realization for you this morning of the fact that you were made by him and for relationship with him. And there is space here now for us to just enjoy the presence of Jesus, to put aside all else and say, Lord, I'm going to enjoy you, knowing that that's what I was made for. 
and there and there alone I'm going to find complete and utter satisfaction being in his presence this is Jesus that we get to know this is what he's won for us this is why he came we we're made by him and for him saved by him and for him and one day we will be raised by him and for him I'm going to pray for us and then Dan's going to lead us Lord we thank you we thank you that you created us with purpose in mind. None of us are here by accident, Lord, but we're here to know you, to be known by you, to be loved by you. Wow, what a life that we get to enjoy you. And Lord, we want to worship you this morning. We want to respond to that. Lord, thank you that we're made for you. And Lord, we want to enjoy this beautiful relationship that you have done, that you've withheld nothing to achieve. Lord, we sing to you, Lord. We come in surrender to you. We want to behold Jesus this morning. Behold him and all that he has done for us. Behold this relationship that we have been so graciously drawn into. Lord, thank you that you fought for us to draw us into this. Thank you that this isn't just religion, this is relationship that we get to enjoy. Let's sing together.